How's it going, everybody? Welcome to episode 11 of Fear Frequency. I'm your host, Jimmy Champagne, and with me today is my co-host, George Frizzard. What's up? Dude, one more episode, and then we get to do another in-person episode. Oh my god, it's, it'll be here before we know it. I won't have to edit out all the pauses from latency <laughs> and not being able to look at each other to know when someone's done talking. <laughs> yeah, a, a common issue, but we, we make it work. Yeah, in case people didn't know, I go through the entire file after when I'm editing it, and I edit out pretty much every breath and every pause between, <laughs> like, us talking to each other. <laughs> it takes me about three hours a week, I would say, to edit this podcast. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's good, though. So, uh, <laughs> there's a motorcycle man outside. I hope he doesn't come through, but um, we got a big show this week, dude. We yeah, got a lot of news ton of news it just it never stops it stopped for a week and we were like shit i hope it doesn't keep <laughs> stopping and then it was like boom baby we're back with the news you thought we were gone but we're not and i was like all right news calm down calm and down a little bit so we got a lot of news then we only have one movie this week for segment two primal rage not going to say anything more about it and then in segment three we have a very special interview with charlotte sullivan the star of radius which we talked about last week. So if you really want the full experience of this interview, there are like very mild spoilers in it. So I would go back, A, listen to last week's episode where we review the movie. See if you're interested in it. If you're not interested, come back and just listen through because it doesn't matter. If you are interested, go watch the movie, like rent it, and then come back, listen to the interview at the end of this episode. Uh, I thought the movie was good, and I thought the interview sounded good, and it's a good listen for anyone who liked the movie. Yeah, thankfully her house didn't burn down here in yeah. uh, California. My throat hurts. I have sinus issues from all the <laughs> ash I've breathed in. So nice and healthy over there. Yeah, it's great. You know. <laughs> so uh, we're gonna jump right into it with the biggest news story of the year, future and past. So at the Game Awards last week, a new game was announced called Witchfire, and it looks awesome. So the way they started it out was in your like typical, you know. Uh, walking sim first person type mystery game because it's from and it says it's from the developers of the vanishing of ethan carter and i was like oh this looks cool looks like some cool new england backwoods type shit and uh the trailer goes through they got that photogrammetry or whatever making their photorealistic graphics that ethan carter had and then the dude who's like the main character pulls out a fucking six shooter and then it goes (laughs) and the people who made painkiller and a bullet storm so I cannot even tell you how excited I am for this game. It's like the, the perfect mix of everything I like. I'm sick of the walking sims. I don't think there's enough first-person horror shooters. And now we're getting the perfect mix of both. Yeah, I think that Bulletstorm is one of the best first-person shooters that's like very widely overlooked. I I only know a few people that actually played Bulletstorm. I think yeah, most we people... It. I loved it. Yeah. I think most people either completely overlooked it or never went back to it or anything. But there's a there's a HD version now that's 4K. It looks awesome. Nice. People should definitely play that. I think Bulletstorm is a great game. One of the better first-person shooters to come out of this. I guess what last generation? Yeah, uh, it was 360 generation. Yeah, yeah, but it looked generation. really good. Yeah, it was like one of the better-looking games. I think what it was Epic made it. Epic published it, and it was uh, people or people can fly or something. Yeah, Pigs yeah, can fly. yeah. But yeah, this game looks insane. It looks... I know everything's getting compared to Dark Souls game-wise, but it looks Dark Souls-esque in the design of like the characters and the environments. Dude, the shooting and, looks so cool. Yeah, the shooting looks super tight. Every looks like there's a lot of weapon variety, cool environments, big bosses. You know, it, it just looks like something that I'm super, super into. Yeah, and uh, Sony seems to be making their transition back into PS3 or P- yeah PS3 era Sony right at the beginning, where they feel like they're on top, so they don't publish indie games exclusively. So hopefully this one gets a wider release on like Xbox and PC and everything because it looks really good. Yeah, I think that this is definitely going to be one of the big games to watch out for. I feel like this is probably going to be more of a sleeper hit where people. Yeah, no one else seemed to be like losing their shit over it like I did. Yeah, I think most people are going to kind of overlook it, and then I assume it's going to get some pretty wild reviews. who are going to be like, what? Witchfire? Did I ever see a trailer for that? Oh, yeah, this game I saw way back at uh, Game Awards. Yeah, so hopefully they open a merch store that I can 
buy everything <laughs> from. Just pimp out their game for them. Yeah, and hopefully, I really, really hope that this game, this isn't like what some indie developers do, where they announce a game and then take five years to make it. I don't know. I feel like what we saw in the trailer looks fairly complete. I mean, there's yeah, no it was HUD. Yeah, like being played. Right, but it, I mean, it shows first person's perspective, fighting enemies, looks like there's some dodge mechanics. It seems at least the all the bones are there. I don't know if it's completely flushed out yet, but I think it's probably at least fairly functional at this point. Right, and so people will probably think that looks like a, you know, fully rendered cinematic instead of being like gameplay. But that's what, if you've ever played The Vanishing of Ethan Carter, that's what the game looks like. Like, those people have completely mastered photorealism, so... I wouldn't be surprised if that was actually like real gameplay. Yeah, I, that game looks insanely good, and I think that the combination of having these like, you know, photorealistic graphics with the shooting that's like completely nailed by that studio, I feel like this is really going to be something special. Special when it comes out. Yeah, so I'm really stoked. Um, if anyone making that game is listening, you're welcome on the show whenever you want. We'll just have you on. We can do a whole episode with you guys. Yeah, we would love to talk about that game. And if you want to hear that, let us know on Twitter. And you can handle the next one, though, because this is this is all you. So there's another trailer. This is very, very short. It's like a very like 30-second trailer. And it's a new From Software game. And the only text it has is... All shadows die twice, and then we see some kind of mechanism twist, and then it's like from software. So the mechanism looks cool. Yeah, this game, who knows what it's gonna be? Is it gonna be a brand new from software franchise? Is it gonna be the new Bloodborne game? No one really knows. A lot of people are speculating. A lot of people seem to think it's new Bloodborne, but obviously nobody knows. This is a very very short trailer. There's nothing, not, no huge info to really gain from this. Really, it's all just speculation at this point. Uh, I hope that whatever it is, I, all right, I think it's, I don't, I don't know if it's Bloodborne 2 because the guy who makes all those Soulsborne games was like, we're done with this kind of game now that Dark Souls 3 is over. But also, Sony owns the rights to, um, you know, Bloodborne and they could have the B team working on it or something. And I'm going to pinpoint that I feel like whatever this is, it'll come out March 2019 i think that's probably a pretty fair guess i mean really all we know is it's another from software game i don't know if it'll be like the same soul style since like you said they said they were done with those kinds of games but i hope it's bloodborne 2 that's like I, my favorite one yeah i really hope it's bloodborne 2 i think that that would be the best option for, for from software but i'd also be interested to see what that studio would do with a not bloodborne style game you know what i, I mean yeah totally be i don't yeah, because they aesthetically they're really good at tapping into everything I like about fantasy and dark shit. You know, like right, they do it without it being cringy. Right, like they really master. It. Like some people will just they think they know what they should put in a game to make it gory and bloody and dark, but then it just comes out like Sucker Punch. You know, like that movie mm -hmm. Sucker Punch. Like yeah, just yeah, just not right. Like you gotta have a consistent tone, and that's also why I like the. Witchfire trailer as well because it has a good you know unified tone that matches up with like everything that you're seeing and you know from software is really good at that and mm -hmm. i think i really like dark souls 3 from what i played of it i played about half the game they made that game they took the dark elements of uh bloodborne and kind of like infused them into dark souls and i like that one a lot for that yeah they do like gothic castles and you know, like Cthulhu, you know, Lovecraftian areas and environments extremely, extremely well. So yeah. to have a different game kind of set in that environment that's so cool to play around in, I think could be interesting. It doesn't have to be a Souls game. I mean, I've, I've played every Souls game. I like the whole franchise. But I'd be interested to see what From Software does in not if they're trying something completely new. Yeah, so that's going to be cool, whatever it is. They've yeah. never made... A bad game as far as i can remember so yeah <laughs> everything is other way has at least been like an eight or a nine <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> so next up oh baby we got that jurassic world fallen kingdom trailer and it's everything i wanted dude so in case you <laughs> listeners haven't been following me for a while jurassic park my two favorite things in the entire world are jurassic park and star wars like above horror 
Jurassic Park is the first movie I ever saw. I was like five years old. I distinctly remember being like, this is fucking awesome. <laughs> and my mom was like, her, I, her friend was babysitting my brother and I. And my brother was like, didn't give a shit because he was three years old. But I was really into the movie and she showed it to us. And my mom came and she was like, what? You let us see Jurassic Park? And I was hooked from then forward. So I got it on VHS that year for Christmas. I was five years old. So I love Jurassic Park. I really like The Lost World. I think it's extremely underrated. Three is like pure fan service, but it's not very good. I love Jurassic World. Yeah, I. The trailer for this, it seems pretty ridiculous. Yeah, it's over the top. <laughs> so, like, the, the plot, let's go into the plot. The, the sequel. It's yeah. set several years later, and, uh, you know, Owen and Claire are broken up, obviously, because people make bad decisions and when they write movies. And, uh,. Claire has a newfound love for the dinosaurs, and there's an active volcano on Isla Nublar, and everyone knows that. But she wants to go rescue the dinosaurs. She obviously takes Owen there with her, and there's some new characters coming along. So it's like an extinction movie, which is cool. And I was really nervous at first because I thought this was like showing us the whole movie, but a bunch of people tweeted at the director, and this all the stuff you see in the trailer is just from the first act. Yeah, and that's... That's good. That's like... I don't, I don't know if that's good or not. I think that that means that this movie basically starts at an 11, and <laughs> I don't know where it can really go from there. It seems... Well, okay. Jeff Goldblum's back. We see him in the flesh. This is true. This is true. And I got, I got some rumor alert right here. Okay. While they were filming the movie, people saw none other than Sam Neill himself get out of a black SUV on set. The Sam mm-hmm. Neill? Yeah, the Sam Neill. You know, Dr. Alan Grant. Oh, my God. So they say life finds a way. Dr. Alan Grant, he found a way. <laughs> he found so, a way onto the set. If he comes back, dude, I don't know what I'm going to do, man. Like, <laughs> like I love Ian Malcolm. I love Jeff Goldblum. I'm in on the, like, Jeff Goldblum's the best joke. Like, everyone loves yeah. Jeff Goldblum. Dr. Alan Grant, possibly my favorite movie character of all time. Alan Grant is awesome. And I think... The interactions that could happen between him and uh, Chris Pratt's character could be cool, oh, since Chris Pratt basically played. And there was even a big, uh, like, theory that Chris Pratt plays like the fat kid who talks about the Velociraptors in yeah. Jurassic Park One. So it could be interesting if they play off that, or you know, include that as like a fan service thing, like yeah. a internet. Like, <clears throat> yep, yeah, you're right. He was the fat kid from the first Jurassic Park. And they could do some cool stuff with it. I'm not discounting the movie. I'm not, like, writing it off or anything. I just think that it looks pretty ridiculous from the trailer. Right. Well, J.A. Bayona is a really good director. A Monster Calls is a good movie. So we'll have to watch that over Christmas. But that's a really good movie. And it's different writers this time around. Colin Trevorrow is a way better writer than he is a director, I think. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad he's writing the movie. I don't know who Derek Connolly is. Someone knows they can tell me. But I think... I don't know. I just think this is going to be awesome. Like, we got to see a Carnotaurus, which was sweet. We got to see Baryonyx. Like, there's, they're obviously, like, pulling dinosaurs out that people have wanted in the movies forever. I know for a fact that the T-Rex from the first Jurassic Park that showed up in Jurassic World is definitely going to die in this movie, and it's going to be tragic. Yeah, I think that that's almost a guarantee that that thing's going to be out of here. It's so old. <laughs> yeah, at this point... What, it's like if you follow the continuity of the movie, like 30, 40 years old? So, oh, you want to hear some shit, though? Okay, here's some, like, deep story time. So, when Jurassic Park 3 came out, it was, like, 2001, right? Okay. It's, like, 16 years ago, I want to say. And we were young. We were, How old were we? What, what, how old were we in 2001? 2001? Eight? Yeah, so, like, we were young. We didn't know what a good movie was. Yeah, it came out in 2001. There were these, like... Young, not young adults they were like kids books there were three chapter books that took place after jurassic park 3 and they're definitely not canon but one okay. of them was like uh alan grant and ellie were back together i think and they led a like expedition team back to isla new isla sorna and they were like capturing all the dinosaurs because there was an active volcano like this is all okay. from a kids and i know like that's like similar but then the ter- pteranodons got out at the end of three and they terrorized uh universal studios the like park oh like, like the the theme yeah. park like the yeah. real world theme park yeah that's not gonna happen in this no but, uh 
I just thought it was funny because I love that that chapter. I think that was in a different book, but the third book was like Dr. Alan Grant's back on the island. He's like rescuing the dinosaurs, and it was really cool. Like one got out somewhere. I don't know. I loved it when I was eight. <laughs> I I uh, saved up my money and my dad ordered them on Amazon. It's like the it's the first thing I ever bought on Amazon. It was the Jurassic Park three chapter books for kids. So yeah, well I really hope this is good, dude. If it's yeah, bad. I- I'm going to cancel the podcast and I'm going to go <laughs> swim out in the ocean. You'll never hear from me again. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I like Jurassic World. I think that that was pretty good. So I'm excited for uh, the sequel. Yeah. So this is very exciting news. Ash versus the Evil Dead seasons one and two just got added to Netflix. This is good news for you because you haven't seen two, right? Right. I purchased the season one DVD blu-ray like right after it came out and then i haven't seen season two yet because i've been busy watching other things but now that it's on netflix i have no excuse to not watch season two to get ready for season three season two is pretty good like it has some downs like it has some filler episodes that i didn't really like but um i watched it it's pretty dope and i think people like if you haven't watched the show and you have any curiosity whatsoever go watch it on netflix because Season three of Ash vs. Evil Dead airs in February 2018, and we've talked about this before, but it has an ending that's semi-open but also closes the book on the show uh, because people just aren't watching it on, I think, Stars. So go watch on Netflix, show them that you care so we get a season four. Yeah, I think if you watch the first episode and you have any love for the evil dead series you'll be sold immediately i think that first episode is one of the best episodes of tv i've ever seen in my entire life yeah and you you haven't even seen two and it gets insanely crazy from there like two has some really good moments and yeah uh, there's a little puppet ash in that called ashy slashy <laughs> and you can buy that from NECA now it's 50 bucks. oh really yeah yeah i mean i love the ash character and i think that obviously no one can do him but bruce campbell and him coming back and he still has it you know he hasn't missed a beat since evil dead one you know what i mean yeah. he still is like killing that character completely without any question my only problem is they're introducing his daughter in season three that's like the official synopsis yeah and it's which... not it's not mia from the remake like why why like he popped up in the after credits of that movie <laughs> why the fuck wouldn't you just make it mia yeah, the I don't know. It's amazing. It's the I, best remake I, of all yeah. time. Yeah, when they were doing those, there was like a, a point in time where they were doing all those remakes where they did uh, Nightmare and Fred 13th and Evil and Dead. And Evil Texas Dead was Chainsaw. like, yeah, Texas Chainsaw. Evil Dead was like clearly the best one by a mile. It was crazy. Evil Dead's remake is better than the first Evil Dead. Nothing's better than Evil Dead 2, I don't think. Yeah, I think everyone should watch this show. I am I absolutely love the first season, and now I'm definitely going to dive into season 2 to get caught up for season 3. I feel like you'll just binge it in a day. Yeah, probably. They go back to Elk Grove and everything, and then, then there's some crazy stuff towards the end that I won't spoil. Yeah. Um, so next up on the list. I don't know if we reported on this before. It might have been before we started the show, but that scary stories to tell in the dark those books that everyone read when they were a kid with the creepy ass art mm-hmm. that's getting turned into a, a movie for cbs films no one really knew what was going on with that we hadn't heard any news about it then it's just revealed that andre over overdoll it has some weird characters and i can't read it <laughs> he's directing it but most importantly the big thing you want to take away here is he directed the autopsy of jane doe which oh my god man that movie is a ride it's a thrill ride yeah. it's amazing that movie is so surreal and unique and so interesting i love that movie i thought that movie was such a cool ride from start to finish yeah we watched that it makes a great double feature we've mentioned this before with uh i am not a serial killer they're both yeah. like new england set horror movies but yeah i think that the autopsy of jane doe was a really interesting really cool horror movie and i don't know you think they're going to do this like a anthology style or you think they're going to do like... So we talked about this with Are You Afraid of the Dark? Right. It's kind and of the you, same conversation. You kind of could go either way with Are You Afraid of the Dark? But I feel like you can't go either way with scary stories to tell in the dark because those stories were like short and snappy and like had a really scary like ending reveal usually. Yeah. From what it I was remember. usually like a big twist at the end that was like the whole, like the scary thing. Yeah. The one... I Okay. So I remember in elementary school... I was friends with this kid, and then we all got invited to his birthday party. And his dad was a pastor, and he was like, I will not have this devil book 
in my house and he threw away my book <laughs> and then when i was leaving the next day i was like your kid's a bully and then i picked my book out of the trash and i left <laughs> i picked my book out of the trash and I had pizza on it <laughs> pizza on it come yeah. on and little caesar's pizza all over it. <laughs> well it's awful it didn't damage the contents of the book, which is good. I, it's good. They're good stories, and they they were genuinely scary when you were a kid. I mean, yeah, I used to, what's I used to get creeped out by these things. What's uh, the one that scared you the most? Oh, man. There's so many to choose from. There's one that really scared me because it was like the setup was you're supposed to have your friend read it. It was like you're supposed to read it to somebody else or have your friend read it to you. Okay. And it was like the story... The whole thing was basically tension. It was like walking down a dark road, like through a forest, blah, 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 like building up all this tension through the story goes. And the last line was just like scream at the top of your lungs. So it's like you're re- like you're listening to it being told to you. And then you and then the person just screams and it just scares the shit out of you. It's a jump scare. But like from a book, it's ridiculous. That's like awesome. how, how did anyone I else have a one. jump scare from a book? It's crazy. <laughs> the, I, the one that I still think about like regularly when I'm just like daydreaming or whatever is the one where the mom goes down to Mexico for vacation and brings back the dog for her kid. Oh, then, yeah. And then the dog's, like, all fucking weird and shit, so they take it to the vet, and the vet's like, this is a rat. Just brought back a giant Mexican rat. <laughs> I, like, think about that constantly. Like, it's I'm not even joking. Throughout my entire life, I probably thought about that, like, once a month at least. So do you think you're going to just pick one of those stories? And and do that for the whole movie? I feel like they'll go trick-or-treat route with it, where, like, it's a bunch of different stories that are all connected. Okay, yeah, I can see that. Uh, but I'm so. very confident, much more confident now after seeing that the director is the director from uh, Autopsy of Jane Doe. Yeah, that movie is oh, so good. You can yeah. watch that, I'm pretty sure, on Netflix by now. That's an IFC Midnight one, and they put everything on Netflix, so go see it. Yeah, so. very good. Highly recommend. Next up. We're getting into treacherous waters with this. Max Landis <laughs> has revealed more about the American Werewolf in London remake approach. So, in case you didn't know, American Werewolf in London is easily in the top 10 best horror movies of all time. Yep. It's directed by John Landis. And mm-hmm. his kid, he's rewriting his dad's movie. And there's no director. It's not sold to anyone yet. But people were asking him, um, you know, like where he's at on it. And he said, he tweeted out, Finishing my first draft on an American Werewolf in London today. It took me way longer than usual because every time I opened the final draft file, my laptop would slam closed under the weight of my father's expectations. I don't think it's his dad's expectations slamming the laptop closed. I think it's everyone else's expectations because there's no reason to remake this movie. Yeah, I think it's one of those situations where it's too premature to remake. It's I, still good. It, holds it was up. made in the 80s, but... The practical effects of the werewolf transformations are still some of the best you've ever seen. And the story still resonates. There's nothing wrong with the story the way it sits right now. There's no real reason to update it. You know what I mean? It just it doesn't yeah. feel like it's right for an upgrade. It feels like when they remade Spider-Man when the old one wasn't even 10 years old. I mean, it's like it just it just feels premature. It feels like there's no real reason to update the material at this point someone asked him about uh why the villagers who come you know, in the beginning of the movie when they're out in the field and the wolf like attacks uh the two main characters the villagers come out and they kill the wolf like really quick someone asked like did they know that guy was the wolf and landis said answering this question and the nature of the villagers role in the plot the second and third act as of now are the biggest changes i've made to the original structure I've always wondered about that pentagram doing some fun stuff. The problem there is whenever you explain this kind of stuff in horror movies, it's never good enough. It's just never good enough. Like, it was creepy that there was this cult out there. I feel like if you explain it, all the tension and like mystery of the movie goes away. Yeah, I think there's a kind of an issue in that. Like, like in the Halloween movies, going back to that. When they had the like the Thorn trilogy, where they start yeah. talking about the cult that like controls Michael Myers, basically, the more that we learned about that, the worse it was. And I think I I really enjoy cult things in movies. I think that's always Me a really too. interesting topic. I think it's always a cool route to go down. 
But like you said, it's hard for people to create a whole cult religion that is believable and interesting and cool when I think in a horror movie especially, the less you know about it, the better because it's like the creepier it is. If you don't know what their intentions are and you don't know what they're trying to create or summon or whatever, it makes it scarier because you're like, well, what? Like you have no idea what's going to happen next. And so to over explain things like that kind of ruins the mystique. Yeah, and American American Werewolf in London is not about the cult. It's about a guy who's like being talked to by the ghost of his friend. He's going through like grief. He's falling in love, and it's about the guy. It's about the main character. It's about him like right. It's a character knowing piece. what's going to happen to him, and then letting it happen, and then living with the consequences of that. Like you're yeah. changing if you if you explain the entire backstory, you're taking away focus of what the actual fucking movie is about. Like that's like the a cult is a cult. It's, you can't make a cult scary to me if that's not the entire focus of the movie. If the movie was called The Cult of the American Werewolf in London and it was like a prequel all about that, then that's one thing. But if you're remaking the movie and you're shifting the entire focus of the movie to something that doesn't need to be explained, like you're just going to get ripped to shreds for it. Yeah. And it, like I said, that's just something that doesn't need to be explained and it's more of a character piece about the main guy. And at this point, it doesn't need to be remade. It doesn't need to be touched. It, it, right. It, just let the sleeping dog lie at this point. The sleeping werewolf, I guess. All right, so a new Ready Player One trailer just dropped. And in it, we see Chucky is in Ready Player One. And also, in the first trailer, we saw Freddy is in there as well. So we have two big horror icons in the new Ready Player One movie. So all of my credibility that I may or may not have gained in that last little story there... About to go out the window, baby, because I am excited <laughs> for this movie. I read I read Ready Player One. I was working a lawn care job. I read it on my phone over the summer, and I really liked it. I always wanted to go back and reread it again, but when people post excerpts from the book, I'm like, eh, I, don't, I don't know if I want to that bad, but I, I think it's a cool story. Yeah, I, I remember you recommending me read it after you read it, and so I picked it up. And I really like the I really like the book. I think it's an interesting story, and obviously directed by Spielberg is a big gain for the movie. Yeah, when I think did that... people just people just immediately turned on him for this movie? <laughs> it's like if there's anyone you can trust with something like this, it's fucking right. Steven Spielberg. Yeah, it's it's weird that people are so negative on this movie from the start not willing to give it a chance when the source material is very good. I think most people who've read the book really enjoy it. I personally really enjoy it. I know you enjoy it. I haven't heard a bad review about it basically. And it, it, it's kind of really ripe for the audiences right now because it's all about nostalgia and right now nostalgia is king. So I think this it's it's just a good fit for what's coming out right now, and I think that it's helmed by a good director. It's a good base story. The original writer who wrote the book wrote the script for the movie. I just I don't see what people have to complain about, really. Right, and there are some like poorly written parts that you you can like pick out, but you could do that with Harry Potter, which is really popular. You could do that with Twilight, which is like extremely popular still. And just because it's the writer may or may not screw up sometimes in their book the story idea is still really cool like i understand the idea that it's like pandering to people who are nostalgic for the 80s and blah 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 but like i don't i just that's what got at at a time where i was just discovering 80s horror movies like right around between eighth and ninth grade was when i really started to go back from like the few standout 80s horror movies i had seen it came out at the perfect time. It like gave me music to look up. It gave me other like pop culture to look up from the eighties. Like this is written by someone who's nostalgic for a time they probably grew up in. I want to say with Ernest Klein, and they know their shit. And they they wrote a really cool story that's kind of heartfelt and has a pretty solid message. I would say. I really enjoyed the original story, and having him come back to write the script for the movie, I think, is a good indicator that it's you know. He probably knows what the criticisms are at this point and is trying to make sure that the main story, all the plot points come through, but maybe fix some of the some of the clunky parts of the novel. Yeah. And since when is a like is a movie adaptation 
a like literal translation of a book. Right. Fucking I, never. Yeah, exactly. And there's obviously going to be parts that they skip and parts that they change to make things flow probably, you know, quicker since you don't have much time to explore a story in a movie as you do reading a book. I, I think the trailers look great. Everything I've seen yeah. looks cool. It seems like they they add all these cultural icons and, you know, references that are in the book that are the, the basis of a lot of this, not necessarily the basis, but are a huge component of the story. And... I don't know. I haven't seen anything in the trailers that make me doubt that this will be a good movie. It's a movie. Steven Spielberg is making a movie that glorifies things that he made. Like you'd think if anyone out there knows how to make their own stuff would like look cool. It'd be Steven Spielberg. <laughs> like what reason do we have not to trust Steven Spielberg will make a good movie out of this? Yeah. Have you seen <laughs> the cast? Olivia <laughs> Cook from Bates Motel, she's amazing. Ben Mendelsohn, who's great in uh, Bloodline and Rogue One. He's T.J. Miller from Deadpool and Silicon Valley. Simon Pegg, like this cast is fucking amazing. <laughs> yeah, I don't see, I don't see why people <laughs> are hating on this it. so hard. I don't get it, and I think the the original story we're talking about is they're adding Chucky now is in the new trailer. <laughs> oh yeah, we love so, Chucky. <laughs> I mean, obviously we. We've been a bit mean to Chucky lately, but... The OG Chucky is fucking terrifying. OG Chucky's cool, and I think that it's... It'll be interesting to see how they incorporate a lot of these 80s icons and references into the story. Yeah. And it, I don't know. I just think it looks cool, and I'm really excited to see it. The I'm more so I down. see, the more, I'm, the more I'm excited for it. Yeah, I think I want to reread the book, too, just to see... I feel like my my ability as like a reader and a writer and like a storyteller, I would say has improved since I was in eighth grade too. So I want to see if looking at it with fresh eyes makes me question things. I don't think it will just because I loved it so much. It's one of those things. It like changed. It like changed the course of my life, I would say. And I know people love to shit on it and act like they're all high and mighty, like (laughs) write it so much better, but right. Like, it's a book that really means a lot to me. And I know a lot of other people, too. And I know that there's there's people in the pop culture press out there who, when this book came out, they were recommending it left and right. And I see a lot of those same people shitting on it now. Like, they're all, you know, the smartest people in the world. So, yeah, I don't know. I feel like if, if, you, if you have people out there in the press that you listen to, that you love hearing from and blah, 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 just read the book and form your own opinion, I would say. Because it's, it's, I don't think it's that bad. No, I think it's a great book and a great story, and I'm excited for the movie. Yeah, Chucky's in it. Chucky's in it. Yeah. So next up on the list, we have some more video game news. So this game's been being worked on for a long time. I think it was announced in 2014. Uh, but Overkill, the people who made Payday 2, have been working on an, a Walking Dead game that's basically Payday in the Walking Dead universe. Uh, and they finally released a cinematic trailer uh, and it comes out next fall. And the, the trailer's pretty cool. Did you watch it? Yeah, I watched it. This this could be a, a cool game. I think having mission-based short vignettes in the Walking Dead world can be really cool and probably the best way to handle it. The thing I liked about this trailer is that The Walking Dead is a universe built so much on fear, but when the characters realize that when they're in a group, they're stronger... Yeah, they can overcome like anything. That's like a huge theme in the comics and I guess the show. This game kind of embodies that too because like this character, you know, it's a, it's an overkill game, so it's going to be co-op. Like playing this game single player probably won't be an option. But the way they show off this character is he's walking around in Washington D.C. and then he uses his baseball bat to honk the horn of a car and alert the zombies. Like that's something no character would do in The Walking Dead. But I feel like it'll feed into the idea of like teamwork and sticking together that the walking dead kind of like thrives on yeah i know in payday there's a lot of really kind of interesting elements with obviously that's a game about robbing banks and stealing money but i think that there's a lot of things about that that could carry over whether it's disabling like alarms so that you don't alert a bunch of zombies around you to get into a building to get supplies to bring them back to your camp i think there's a lot of ways that you can incorporate elements of that game into a walking dead game in that same style that could be really really cool yeah i agree completely and uh 
I mean, this game, I don't want, like, this game's had a kind of a troubled development because at one point they shifted it entirely to a VR game and people played it. And I guess they shifted it back from being that because this sounds like what they originally announced, but they pivoted and I guess they pivoted back. So, I mean, it's coming out next year, allegedly. Uh, yeah. Hopefully it's good. Yeah. I think it's a cool idea. I think I'll probably need to see a little bit more more gameplay instead of just cinematics yeah, but I, I think the concept is cool i think it can be done well i think this studio can do it well and i think we just need to kind of wait and see at this point yep so continuing the game news outlast trilogy is confirmed for the nintendo switch and there's some more outlast news coming up so people have been asking for dlc for outlast 2 uh, but the developers said that that's not in the cards because Outlast 1 was made with DLC in mind, but Outlast 2 wasn't. They like closed the book on that story uh, and people were asking about it. They're not making it. So they are going to make Outlast 3 at some point, um, but you can also read a comic book to get more insight into the universe. And they're also working on a distinctly different experience in the Outlast universe. And uh, yeah, so there's a lot of Outlast news that's all kind of nebulous. Yeah, it seems <laughs> like you said it's all kind of not not really nailed down yet. But it's like, well, well, well we're working on this. <laughs> uh, you, well, you, you know, we're working on this too, uh, and this other thing that we we can't talk about, we're working on that too. Yeah, but it is cool that the the first uh, <laughs> first two games are headed to Switch, and uh, I I guess that's a good place for them on the on the know. handheld. I don't know. I think it's kind of better as a full play it on your couch or on your computer in the dark. Not really. I don't see anyone playing Outlast like on a commute or in the car. Or... Yeah, the gameplay doesn't lend itself lend itself well to a handheld platform. I don't think. Yeah, there's no. It never feels like there's a short like sequence you can keep stopping at. You know what I mean? And yeah. For handheld games, it's kind of important to be able to stop playing for a long extended period of time and be able to come back to it or be able to do just something quick and then be like, okay, I had, uh, I was able to do this one thing on my, on my ride to work. So cool. I made like a little bit of progress. Like I'm tripping away at it. I think that these games are more of a kind of sit down and almost play it in one go. That's what I did with both of them. The, yeah. Or not the second one. I did, Outlast in one sitting and then Whistleblower in one sitting. I haven't played the second one yet. It just, it didn't get great reviews. And the way it scared certain people seemed like a kind of like fear induction that wouldn't really scare me. They're like, it brought up memories of my past. And it's like, okay, well, that doesn't, that shit doesn't scare me. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, so I mean, I might try it at some point. It'll probably go on sale uh, for Christmas on Steam or Xbox or something. Yeah, it just seems like a weird place for it. It's cool. I'm always happy to see the Switch get more software, but I just think it's kind of a weird place for Outlast games. Yeah, I kind of have that same feeling I used to get with Vita where like anything that comes to it, I get stoked. But now it's like a guarantee that pretty much anything will come to the Switch because so many people have bought it. So I feel okay not being super stoked for every single thing. And I just feel like Outlast is not a handheld experience. And then if you yeah. play it in TV mode, it's going to look worse than another console that you definitely have right and i know you can probably get it cheaper on playstation or xbox oh yeah this than... this shit's coming out in the trilogy for what like 40 bucks probably yeah be and the I, only way to buy it and you can probably get both of them or you can probably get the first one and the dlc for half of that and play it on a, a tv and at least 1080p easily and it'll look run way better yeah so that's the problem with switch but Eh, whatever. Good things yeah. coming to Switch. That was good. All right, so we're coming to the end of segment one, but before we move on, I want to feature someone for Creature Feature this week. And this week we have Ryan Hollinger, who runs the YouTube channel Screen Smart. Uh, he's UK-based, and he does video essays that are pretty good. He animates them, he writes it all, he acts in it all. He, like, you know, it's all him. And he's running a Patreon right now, and he just makes he makes great stuff. You should definitely go check it out. I went through his channel really quick and picked out a few of my favorite videos, and I liked his Nightmare on Elm Street one, and his video on The Grudge was really good, but my favorite he's done is the one on Courage the Cowardly Dog. He's just, he's a good, like, analysis of uh, horror content, but he does other movies too. I just like the horror videos. 
Yeah, I think that he's really talented, and people should definitely check him out, and that's why yeah. he's on our Creature Feature. And we found out he is a listener of the show recently, so thank you, Ryan. You are the man. Yeah, thank you. All right, so that's going to wrap up segment one here. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back with our review of Primal Rage. Coming back from our quick break here, we only are talking about one movie today, but it's a really good one, so I don't really feel too bad about it. We're talking about Primal Rage, which uh, is a really, really good movie that you should put on your radar. What do you think of it, George? Yeah, I think that this is a really cool story. I had a ton of fun watching this thing. God, it's basically like if you took Predator and put it in the woods of uh, the Pacific Northwest but gave it its own little Bigfoot twist. I think that the creature design of the Bigfoot and the gore in this movie are out of this world. They're insanely oh, good. Oh, God. The pra- it's like there's so many practical effects, and they don't cut away from any of it. And no, it still no. looks really good. <laughs> you know, like when there's some movies, they cut away quick because they obviously don't want you to be able to tell that it's not a real human being getting their eyes pushed in by Bigfoot's thumbs, for <laughs> right. example. But this movie is like, no, we're going to like make them wa- let you watch them make soup out of this guy's face. Uh, there's some parts where I was legitimately wondering how they did the practical effects because i was like that dude actually looks like he just got his face split open like 95 percent, and that is bizarre (laughs) (laughs) yes talk about plot here a little bit so basically max is uh one of the main characters and his wife ashley is the other max is played by andrew joseph montgomery and ashley is played by casey gaglardi and max was in prison for like an indefinite amount of time but Ashley made the drive up the coast to pick him up when he's getting out of prison. On their way down, they stop at a gas station and these, like, group of hunters who are also, like, redneck hunters, they heckle them, call them, like, convict and shit. And uh, by a weird turn of events, they end up in the middle of the woods being stalked by Bigfoot. And it's, it's, it's... It's just everything you'd want out of a movie like this because the characters are really good, but it's not exposition-y at all. They, like, do context clues and stuff to make you actually care about the characters. And it does the it avoids a huge pitfall of slasher movies for me where they build up the main characters and make you like them and then rip them away from you. Instead of doing that, they give you a group of rednecks that you fucking hate, and then they all just get torn apart. It's, it's, so you can watch the movie and know that you can, like actually care about characters which is kind of cool yeah i think that they did the i think the plot definitely takes the back seat here in terms of i think it's more fun to watch bigfoot and him and the practical effects than i think the plot is kind of less important than it was for them to just make sure that the the creature and the effects looked as cool as they did uh, yeah they're perfect like it doesn't yeah. get any better than what they did yeah and <laughs> The plot is, like, completely serviceable. There's one part that I thought was kind of weird with uh, <laughs> with the witch character. Yeah, dude, that, that was what I was going to say, too. <laughs> one thing I don't like is the Native American subplot because it's, like, it's dated. It's, like, just kind of, like, tacky, and it's unnecessary. It just, it feels weird. It doesn't, it's not bad. It's just feels yeah. out of place it feels like it, that whole segment could be cut out of the movie and it wouldn't lose anything right and it's a bigfoot movie and part of the allure of bigfoot is that we don't know anything about bigfoot like you don't need to invent the story of bigfoot for this movie. <laughs> right. like, we all fucking we all, know <laughs> we know what bigfoot is at this <laughs> point like you don't need to tell us what it is <laughs> yeah you don't need to make up like an entire lore sheet for his like fighting game character card you know like, yeah exactly so but this movie is directed really well uh i really like the directing a lot and it's shot really well too like it's super high quality for i'm assuming a pretty low budget and god yeah the bigfoot the bigfoot costume is really good it's imagine like just any old bigfoot costume but infused with the vibes of predator and it wears tree bark as armor yeah my favorite part of the care so of awesome. the bigfoot design is his 
it's a piece of bark that he like tore off a tree and it says two little eye holes cut in it and he wears it as a mask when he goes around killing people one that's hilarious because why does bigfoot need a mask who is he hiding his identity from (laughs) (laughs) and two it's actually kind of intimidating because you're like, why does Bigfoot need to hide who he is? Right, but no, see, that's why it makes sense. I thought about this. Because it's Bigfoot, right? Like, Bigfoot yeah. is something that a lot of people believe in. But no one's ever really seen him. Like, there's people who have faked it. There's people who have claimed to have seen him. But no one's ever truly been able to capture any, like, true Bigfoot footage. It's an elusive monster out there in the woods. So they, they explain it by making this character who at any moment can come up and just push his thumbs into your brain and make <laughs> your brain into like yogurt or he can be this like stealthy badass with a bow and arrow covered in tree bark hiding in the woods so it's like it answers the question of how how come no one's ever gotten bigfoot on camera it's like well because he stalks you until you're so deep in the woods that no one will ever see you die and right. then he reveals himself but even then as he's stalking you through the woods, he's popping you with bow and arrows. He's sneaking around. He's freaking you out. You know, like, right. he's a good, stealthy badass. Right. The Bigfoot isn't, he's not like a lumbering beast that the people are hunting. He's hunting them. It yeah. flips the script. It's like, <laughs> you think that the that the redneck guys are going to be able to just blast him with a shotgun. But he's like a pinpoint shot from a mile away with a bow and arrow. Yeah, he's, he's like not Breath afraid. of the Wild action out there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It, it's a really interesting take on the Bigfoot story, and I think it works in every aspect. Yeah, I completely agree. It is so good. <laughs> like, I actually like the plot. Like, it, the plot, as you said, is serviceable, but they back up the plot details with really good contextual clues. Like, you care about the characters because when he gets out of prison, he's pulling out pictures of their kid. It's doing flashback memories, but they're having like normal benign conversation that a couple who like is staying together even though the husband went to prison would have you know like she's pissed but you can tell that she's like still into him and everything and their little redemption arc that goes on throughout the movie you like care about the characters which is awesome yeah i mean i always wanted to see them get back home to their kid which is it's obviously nice to see that they're able to make characters that are that you want to see make it to the end in a slasher movie when the slasher villain is so cool. I mean, this is just like a perfect return to form to the classic 80s slasher genre. I think if you're yeah. a fan of that archetype at all, I think this movie is 100% up your alley and made for you. It feels... It, it could fit in. The Bigfoot in this movie could fit in with, with a Chucky or a Freddy or Michael Myers. Yeah. I, Definitely. No question. Like, Oma is what it's called. I don't know why they named it, but they did. (laughs) It's just Bigfoot. But it's like, it's just, you don't see movies come out like this that often. And I don't understand why this isn't getting a wide theatrical release. And especially when you consider, like, there's a lot of Bigfoot movies. Like, the guy who made The Blair Witch Project, Eduardo Sanchez, he made one called Exists, and it sucks. He, there's a movie called Willow Creek that people are like, this was a found footage masterpiece. You never see the Bigfoot. It sucks. There's, like, Valley of the Sasquatch, which is a terrible movie. There's so many directors, these indie horror directors, trying to make really good Bigfoot movies, and they've never figured it out. But then this movie fucking nails it. Just nails it. And you're like, <laughs> yes, it's awesome. Yeah, this... Is really, I mean, the best slasher movie I've seen in such a long time. You really don't see a good slasher movie come out anymore. It's it's a really rare occurrence, and I think that this movie just really nails that genre 100%. The Bigfoot is such a cool character to watch. The woods are a great setting for this movie. The hunters are, you know, a great kill fodder. They're kind of funny in their banter with each other, but they're really kind of edgy and creepy and you don't want to have them around in the movie for very long like they've they show their true colors pretty quickly and make themselves a force that you are like well it's probably better if we don't have these guys around yeah go ahead and die (laughs) yeah just uh... make, make sure these guys die because that's better but and that's a good way to protect the two main characters and have a bunch of kill fodder so we can see all these really amazing effects and push the plot along while making sure that we can follow these two characters in their journey. Right. So uh, the problem here is the release timing on this movie. So 
Blue Fox Entertainment is putting it out, and they don't have a solid release date down yet, but I was told somewhere between January, end of January and beginning of March. I don't know why they didn't just say February, maybe because they don't want to just like lock down a month for sure, but VOD and limited theater release probably happening in February, which like it's got, feels far away, but really isn't that too far off. But keep an eye on this movie for sure. Yeah, I'm a bit upset people can't watch it right now because I think it's that good to where people should be able to watch it immediately. I think this yeah. is... I don't know why they'd stifle the release because it's so good. I just want everyone to be able to talk about this thing because I love this movie. Okay, so that's our thoughts on Primal Rage. So uh, remember that for segment three this time around, we have an interview with Charlotte Sullivan from Radius. So you're going to want to stick around after the little break and hear that. It's a great interview, so you should definitely let us know uh, what you think of it. And as we mentioned last week... Uh, there's a giveaway going on. We have a copy of Dead Rising 4 on PS4 to give away. And all you had to do to enter was review the show on iTunes. And we got a new, we got a couple new people writing up the show, but we picked a winner and it's going to be George Cruz Alvarez. He's followed us both for a really long time. He's always been a really active fan and I'm pretty sure he's one of the first people to get in his review. So, uh, we're going to give him the copy of Dead Rising 4, and you will find that in your email, George. So hopefully you get to this point in the podcast and know that you won. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you got any closing remarks, George? Uh, just come back next week for more horror news and reviews. And as always, you never know who might be listening. Yeah, we really liked the movie. We thought it was great. Um, we just talked about it last week. And uh, we just, like, I just want to know initially, like, what drew you to the role? Um, well, I, I mean, I had to audition, like, I'm, you know, as most people have to do. And um, my agent was like, it's, she had read the script and she said, I think you're really going to like this because it's not your typical, um, your film whereby often as the female lead character, you often have these inevitable love scenes um, that kind of usually come up whenever you read scripts. I'm always like, ah, I don't want to do it. You kind of avoid them like the plague. And I, this one was so weird because it felt like it was going to like, it felt like, oh, I was, oh it's, it's going to go there. It's predictable. It's going to go there. And then I just didn't go where I thought it was going to go. So I was so shocked that I, I think the most I ever touch Diego, um, the actor I played opposite it, uh, I touched his pinky and I gave him a hug. It's <laughs> <I was> like <laughs> it. And I just thought that's, I know that sounds like a really strange thing as a reason to want to do something, but I think it was because I was expecting it to, I was like, oh, they're going to make out soon. And it just didn't, um, I don't know. It really kind of surprised me. And also working with a husband and wife team direct, like they directed it. Right. That was and my next question. It? Yeah. What's, yeah, what's it like working so with fast. A, a duo? Oh my God. It was amazing. But it you'd, you'd think that they would agree on things. I mean, maybe you wouldn't think that they would agree on things, but they often had conflicting views of how things should go. So, and they're amazing. I don't know if you have the opportunity to talk to them, but they are just these little twisted, like magical weirdos that I, I've just had such a blast with, even though it was like a really hard shoot was really intense and to have them i mean if you ever get to talk to them they're just the weirdest people (laughs) and it was amazing it was and it was cool to have it be a man and a woman and i think that's part of why i liked my character so much because she just wasn't sexualized Um, right you know what i mean like she was very my original um like vibe that I got from reading the script was that, okay, this is like, you know, vertigo. I'm getting like a Hitchcockian vibration from this. And I was like, I I was like pulling inspiration from Kim Novak. And, and they, when they met me, they're like, Oh no, 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 no. Like, don't, please don't, you're doing it wrong. No, that's not what we want. Um, they wanted her so plain and I, I don't know. I like, I just loved it. I was like, okay. I was like, let's go for it. Um, so yeah, it was a really, really intense shoot. That was often days where 
I'm either getting stabbed with a hypodermic needle or there's people dying or um, I'm going to commit suicide. Like it was exhausting. I was like, I am so tired. <laughs> um, but it was a really, really fun shoot despite all that kind of craziness um, and I had good energy, like really nice people. So like, what was it like acting alongside uh, Diego, like a character that you're with pretty much the entire movie once the two characters meet, but you can't really know anything about him? Was it kind of hard mm-hmm. to like shut him out at all? Did you have to do that or... Uh, no, he, Diego really had my back. I, I, um, I was so tired making this film and I was a lot of self doubt because I think when you're, you're shooting like 17 hour days and you're doing mostly nights, you get really tired. And then every scene is so high energy that it's hard to keep up with that. Like it's hard to maintain that. And so I, I really struggled with that. And he was, and I just was so like, I just was so honest with him about how I felt. And he just really had my back and that felt really good. And he's a really, he's just a really great actor. And I actually knew him, uh, believe it or not from years ago. Um, I didn't know him well, but, um, I, we also have a mutual friend. So that was really a nice kind of like a familiarity kind of thing. And, uh, and he's a really like a wonderful actor to play opposite. He's really intense. And, but also like you often don't know what he's thinking. Um, but he's a jokester. He's wonderful, <laughs> but yeah, but it was still hard to kind of create a backstory for somebody that has no recollection. I mean, that's often what you do is you try to, you know, pull things from the script clues, make up something. Um, and I couldn't do that with her, which, Sometimes I felt like I was really robotic and like I was like a, a robot. And I think that's what um, Steve and Caroline, our directors, really wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was hard because sometimes I felt like uh, just, just just no emotion and, and kind of vacuous, truthfully. Um, and yeah, it was hard. That's a hard one. Yeah, I like at the point when you, I'm not going to spoil anything, but when you start to figure out what's going on, it was mm-hmm. almost like they let you lift the floodgates there and just start mm-hmm. going nuts, you know, like really start um, having fun with it. It seemed yeah. like. And that was pretty cool. But yeah, I could tell like you had to play like super reserved for. Yeah, like really held life. back because I just, she just is almost like this really empty vessel, like just of, you know, having absolutely no idea who, what her name is even. So that was hard it was hard it's a strange thing to kind of have to do but um and then you watch it and you go oh I should have done it like this like you always kind of second guess everything that you do but um I think I I just loved the 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 look that they were kind of going for this kind of plain Jane and then hence the Jane Doe reference which Mm -hmm. was cool but if you get the chance to talk to the directors it would you would just I don't know they have such insight and they really uh they really research this whole like radius concept and they're just mental in a great way. Um, and they would give you more insight than I could. Did you have to do any like research for the role or anything? Like were there characters from other movies you might've pulled from or anything like that? Well, I mean, I normally you do that type of thing. Um, this was such a quick turnaround. I, I believe I read for the part like, I don't even know. Like it was like three days and then I was on set. Do you know what I mean? Like three days yeah. and I was on set. And, uh, that was, I, you always wish you had more time. Like that's time is like so valuable and I just didn't have it. And so me and Diego were sort of cramming for exams. Like that's kind of how it felt. Um, and I also had my kid with me. So, you know, we we're shooting nights and I get home at six in the morning and she's ready to party. And I was like, I'm going to die making this movie. How, how many, how long was the shoot? I think it was a 21 day shoot. Oh, wow. That's really quick. It's so fast. And it, yeah, and it, it was long. I, but I think in terms of the days, but um, everybody was who was there like really wanted to be there and that makes all the difference especially when you're dealing with a really low budget um film and because if you have people that are there that are are um you know doing it for the money it's like are you crazy mm-hmm. like this is, has to be a passion project for sure um 
And then also this is a vision that we got to bring to life um, with these directors that had sat with it for years. You know what I mean? Like this was their baby. So I felt a great, like, I kind of just, I had to, you know, really work hard to make them happy and because it's really hard to make movies and get them made. Um, and so for them, they were just so giddy that it was happening. Um, but yeah, the 21 days to shoot this kind of film is, it's a grueling schedule for sure. Yeah, definitely. So switching gears, you kind of jump back and forth between like TV and film throughout Mm -hmm. your career. Like which one do you like better and where are you headed next? Like, are you looking at to go back to TV or do you like acting in films? I think the thing that I really love so much and that's what I'm really seeking is I love the collaborative um, aspect of it. Like I really love working with really talented people and it doesn't necessarily have to be film or television. Like I, I really just want to work with wildly eccentric, beautiful like minds and and so that's really that, that's what I'm putting out there. That's my wish. That's what I'd like to do. So it's not necessarily um, wanting it to be film or 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 just television. Although with TV, I will say the thing that's kind of slightly comforting is you sort of know. Okay, well, I'm going to be working for this many episodes, and and then I'll have this time off, so I can maybe plan something in between with film you never like I mean I found out radius like three days and then I was there do you know what I mean so there's not it's a lot bit more spontaneous but um yeah I really just want to work with like kooky eccentric weirdos that make me excited about what I do that's what I really what I want to do that's a that's a really cool answer so uh, (laughs) did you have a long winded you can tell me if I'm going down a corn maze sometimes I I ramble so no that's fine like our whole thing is we talk about indie movies and those tend to be like you know broader vision type stuff and it's fun when you get to hear people who are actually passionate about it rather than like people are like yeah I just showed up because the script was weird (laughs) haha like no I I feel really honestly and I don't mean to sound like Pollyanna about it I I feel so like appreciative uh, especially when I'm with I mean, this type of cast and crew, they were just, there's just such an excitement. And I get so excited being in, like, for me, the art starts at 4.30 in the morning in the makeup and hair trailer, because that's when you start creating the person. And that collaboration with the hair and makeup team is like, just, it's my most, if I didn't have that, I don't think I would do it. That's my most favorite time. Um it's like you're creating the way she looks or whoever you're playing. It's like just so electric to work with people that are so talented. Like that's what gets me so excited. And, and yeah, of course there's many times when I've worked on many things that the, the excitement or magic was just not there. And it's oftentimes on things that are really high budget because people just want to do it for the money and it shows. And, and not that I'm, don't want to do high budget things. I've, I've never really done like super, super high budget stuff, but, um, yeah, the, the, you can just tell when somebody just wants to get the paycheck, you know? Right. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So do you know at this point, are there like plans for any future adaptations of this? Like, is there going to be a sequel? Do you know or anything? They had sort of like, like for me on set, just hearing like a, somebody had dropped a little hint at something and I was like, really? Like, I'm always the last to know these things. So, um, I mean, I, it, it is kind of a, it, does it lie within my character? Like, um, I don't, I have no idea. Do I now have that power or was it taken away when, when I can't say, I can't say right, I'm going right. to give it away. <laughs> I'm like totally going to wait. You have to like erase well, that. Thankfully, I, most of our audience is like American. So they probably okay. already have seen it. Okay. So we can be a little we can like touch on the spoilery stuff. Okay. A bit. I like totally spoil the movie. I'm the worst. So um yeah, so because like I totally watched a sequel, but yeah, the at the end of the movie, I don't know, your character seems like she might end up, you know, in a mental hospital or something. Yeah, there... it was a really stressful <laughs> couple days. I think you would have to go like completely the opposite from what I had done in the first film. You'd have to like perhaps she's like kind of a kooky crazy person but because she didn't know who she was she was playing it kind of this playing with so there would be like a lot of room to to play it 
in a sort of eccentric kind of way. I mean, that would be my first kind of intention. And then whether or not Steve and Carolyn were like, no, you've got the wrong idea. Um, that's something else. Um, but I, you know, I, I think if people like the movie and they'd like to see, you know, something else, that would be, I mean, God, that would be a gift to get to work with those guys again, for sure. Yeah, totally. I mean, I'd watch it either way. I was, you, this oh, was a great movie. <laughs> oh, that means, honestly, that means like so much. You have no idea. Oh, that's awesome. So I have one more question. It's mm-hmm. just like a little fun one. It's the scariest movie you've ever seen and why? Breakfast at Tiffany's. Mm. <laughs> that's a fun choice. I find it to be one of the most racist movies. <laughs> like, okay. I'm like, I can't believe like it. I it, it, There's a, a white guy pretending to be. Chinese like it's horrible I just don't I'm like I cannot believe like that that movie terrifies me and makes me so uncomfortable and the fact that it's a classic is even more twisted (laughs) like yeah that's crazy yeah there's there's a bunch of movies like that like I just went back and watched um Big Trouble in Little China and when I was like five I didn't get it but now I went back and watched it. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, you're like, what the <laughs> this, F? Yeah, this like, it's, <laughs> yeah, there's even um the classic Christmas story. Like, that was like, uh, yeah, obviously, I don't know if you grew up with that one every Christmas, but it's like blatantly racist as well. Like, you're like, what? Like, it's, there's a scene where they're going to, they're, the turkey's been eaten by the dogs and they go, to have turkey in chinatown and they're laughing at the accents of this it's oh, I'm right. like, it's like are you shitting me like it's so racist it's so racist and it's a classic <laughs> so, you know <laughs> that, that's a nice thoughtful answer and very timely. Oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> maybe we, we, you weren't expecting like you're probably expecting like the shining or something like that no, but, we, we um, like the fun answers no. that's that's fine. you do okay yeah. okay good <laughs> Cool. Well, that's that's all the time we have here. But I appreciate you taking the time to do this interview. No, and, thank uh, you. Is there anything honestly. you want to throw out there about the movie or anything for our listeners? Um. Well, first of all, anybody that watches it, it's just like so appreciative. Thank you so much for taking your time to even like you know spend your your, your dollars on it. It's like it's just really um it's wild. And uh, I'm just a little Canadian kid that's like really grateful and uh, and excited to to do what I do. So thank you. 